If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Now back in the fall, we started a sermon series through the book of Daniel, and for those of you who've been with us over the last month, you know that we took a little bit of a break from that series over the holiday season, and we looked at some of the stories and events that took place surrounding the birth of Jesus. Well, this morning we are back in the book of Daniel. Now, as we started out a few months ago, I had said this, that the first half of the book of Daniel is about the prophet. The last half is about his prophecies. And in the first six chapters, um, I was very eager to look at those things, the, the stories about Daniel and his friends. But the last six chapters, I thought, wow, I, I mean, where are we going to uh, go here? What are we going to get into here? In fact, Many people that I know who preach through the book of Daniel stop at chapter 6. And maybe after the message this morning, you think, you'll think that I should have stopped as well. But, but here's what I believe, that Acts chapter 20 and verse 27 says that we are responsible to teach the whole counsel of God, which means that we look at the easy passages as well as, as the difficult passages. And the last half of the book of Daniel is where we find some of the most difficult passages of the Bible. Now, I know this, that when we, we start talking about the apocalypse, when we start talking about the end times, and all of these weird images that some of you just love to live in that world, it's usually one of two things, that, that when it comes to the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, you either love it or you want to ignore it like the plague. But but today, we are going to be talking about make way for the coming king. Because this is a vision that Daniel has about some of the scary things that are going to come in the future. But at the end of it, uh, we, we are going to see something greater, something glorious, a, a coming kingdom uh, and a coming king who is going to ride on the clouds and who is going to make sense of what was once broken. What's great about this is that the context here, chapter, the chapter right before this one, is about Daniel and the lion's den, that he is miraculously spared from these ferocious lions. And this first vision that he's going to have is basically about a lion king, that there is a kingdom that has something to do with a lion, but he's had this vivid experience where God saved him from these hungry lions. And he says, you know what, if God can bring me through that, well, he can bring me through this government as well, right? Now, in the first half of the book of Daniel and other places like Revelation are called, the, uh, called apocalyptic literature, talking about the end of all things. And so before we get into our text here this morning, I just want to give you a couple of rules for apocalyptic literature as we get ready to jump into this section of our Bibles. And really, uh, this is, as a church, uh, not something that we spend a lot of time on, end-time prophecies or these crazy uh, visions, these dreams, these scary animals like what we're going to see today. But we are committed to the Word of God, and we are not shrinking away from anything that God's Word teaches us. And so here are just a couple of things that I think we need to know before we read our passage for today. First of all, apocalyptic literature is a vision of the future to give believers hope in the present. 
Now, that's what apocalyptic literature is about. When you look at the book of Daniel, you look at the book of Revelation, it is a vision of the future that is meant to give a believer hope in the present. Listen, if you're a Christian, do you need some hope right now? Is there anyone who is listening this morning who needs some hope? Well, this passage of scripture is meant to give you some hope. Now, in order to do that, God is going to give Daniel a vision that is a bit overwhelming at first. But it is provided to say, I am going to give you a vision of the future. And you're going to see some things that might look a a bit scary. But in order to give you hope in the present, I want you to know who's going to win in the end. And so, what we're going to see here in this vision that Daniel uh, sees himself... Um, is this vision is given to him so that he might have hope in the present circumstances that he is facing. Now, as we go through this passage, some of you might be thinking, wow, I mean, this is a lot of information. I want to go back and uh, watch this video again, watch uh, this online uh, so that I can write everything down. I want to do my own research. I'm going to look some things up on my own. And others are going to feel maybe a little bit let down. Like, Jason, you know what? I, I, I have a lot of questions here, and you're not answering my questions. Why? Why not? Well, here's the reason why. Rule number two, we have to focus on what is certain, but don't obsess on what's left out. Focus on what's certain. Don't obsess about what's left unclear. The reality is that some people love to focus on the minor details. They love to debate and argue about things that we really don't know anything about. In fact, I've studied this passage quite a bit, and I have a lot of uncertainties about some of the details here. But on the other hand, I am completely confident about what this main point of this passage is. Some some of the exact times and dates and individuals who are involved are just speculation. But in the end, I want you to, to, I want to make it very clear that we focus in on what we know for sure. And I, I also want to say here that if you ever hear me or anyone else acting as if we know what's going to happen with all of these weird things in the future, be very, very careful. The fact is that Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, said, I don't even know the day or the hour. And so, if Jesus doesn't know, then we need to be careful of anyone who claims to have more precise knowledge than he did when he was here on this earth. We want to study this passage well, but we don't want to walk away thinking that we know all the details, that we have it all figured out. In fact, I think that it is a special kind of pride to say that you know things that Jesus didn't know. And so we're going to dig into the passage this morning and we're going to talk about some of the details here. But in the end, I want to walk away knowing with confidence what the main part of this text is all about. Your your Bible's open to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Here's what God's word says to us. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream 
and told the sum of the matter. Now let me stop there for just a second, and we're not going to do this throughout the whole passage, but uh, for those of you who have been with us over the first six chapters, you might remember that we are moving backwards here for a moment, that we're kind of pressing rewind. But, but Belshazzar was a king who was a little bit earlier at, at some at, at uh, this point at this particular point in the book of Daniel. We've already read about another king, um, King Darius uh, of the uh, Persian Empire. Daniel says, "Well, we're going to go back a few years, and I want to tell you about a vision that I had a while back." Back when he served under that third king at the time. Uh, back when he was living in the, the Babylonian Empire. And, and so we are rewinding here a bit in the story. And we read that in the first year of Be- Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred up, uh, uh, stirring up the great sea. Uh, the four beasts uh, came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, uh, 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 then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from out of the ground. And made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a a bird, on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the, of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, it, in, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As we start into this chapter here, uh, Daniel talks about this vision that involves these beastly kingdoms and these four images that he sees. And and so I want to just explain some of this and give you a little insight into this. If you notice where these beasts come from early on, though, they, they come from the sea, right? And why is that? Well, in Hebrew literature, the, the sea was an uncontrollable, chaotic place where people go to die. You can't control the sea. It is scary out there. It is dangerous out there. And that is where these beasts are coming from. Also, beasts in the scriptures are often characterized as demonic. The first time that we are introduced to Satan in the Bible, what is he? He is a serpent, wild, untamed, slithering around, looking to cause trouble. 
And so when we look at this, it, it may seem a bit odd that this is Daniel's dream, but in all honesty, we still use animals to describe certain groups of people today. I mean, we live in a country where there is a group of elephants and a group of donkeys, and they're fighting for the right to be the eagle. Uh, it's not just in America where we think in these terms, but Russia is known as the great bear. China uh, symbolizes a panda. Um, Australia, a kangaroo. Animals are frequently used to depict certain nations. We read about lions, bears, leopards in Daniel chapter 7, and I, I think what's going on here is that these are nations in human history. And so I want to go ahead and just talk about these four beasts a bit here. And we have some pictures that we're going to kind of put up on the screen as well to go along with this. But the first kingdom is represented by a winged lion, which is characterized by a rise, a fall, and a restoration. And so here is this lion, and as if a lion is not scary enough, this lion has wings and it can fly. Now, if you're out on a safari somewhere and you see a lion that has wings, you might as well just give up. There's no sense in running. The lion's going to get you. Now, that, that's the, there's this winged uh, lion, but in verse 4, it, tells, it, it says that all of a sudden these wings get plucked off and he is given a mind to think and reason like a man. Uh, th there are a number of things going on here, but I, I think I want you to just think about this for a moment here, because uh, especially as it relates to Daniel, uh, has there ever been anything that was described in this book as rising and then falling and having wings? Now, some of you might remember what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? That, that he was mighty and powerful, that all of a sudden one day he loses his mind. He is out in a field. Daniel even describes him as having nails that are so long that they look like eagle's claws. That he has hair that is, looks like feathers of a bird. And then after seven years his kingdom is restored to him once again. Also there are artifacts and writings that talk about lions as they relate to Babylon as a nation. And so... As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of interesting. But is there anything else that kind of helps us piece some things together here? Well, this second kingdom that's talked about is described as a bear, but it's a little bit uneven. It's a lopsided bear that has destroyed three other kingdoms. And so there is this bear that, that walks with a bit of a limp. And in verse 5, it talks about these three ribs that are in its mouth meaning that it has destroyed three other things in order to get to where it's at right now. But somehow, it is uneven. It is a lopsided bear. So we have a lion and we have a bear. There's a third image, and it is of a leopard. And this is not just any leopard, but this is a four-headed leopard. And this four-headed leopard also has four wings with it as well. So this is a four-winged, four-headed leopard representing a third kingdom that indicates a fast-moving and yet divided authority. If you think about the characteristics of a leopard, they are extremely fast. I mean, there's no way that you're going to ever be able to outrun one. And a leopard has wings that, um, that, that means that you really don't have a chance with this leopard. 
What's being represented here is some kind of kingdom that is insanely quick and that no one can stop him. But then all of a sudden there are these four heads going in four different directions, which seems kind of like a strange and unique kind of animal here. After this third beast, there's a fourth beast that comes, and really, um, it doesn't tell us a lot about this. what this is as far as an animal goes. I mean, we had a lion, we had a bear, we had a leopard, now it just says this, is, this one's really, really bad. This is a multi-horned beast uh, representing a final kingdom, which is more severe, which is more long-lasting than all the previous ones. Now, like I said, there are, there's no particular animal that's described here, but some people have pictured it as a dinosaur or a dragon or something like that that has these horns and these scales all over its body, but it just looks really scary. And this beast represents a final kingdom, and we're told here in this passage that this beast is more dangerous, it crushes all the other kingdoms, and it has these iron teeth. It, it, it seems like there are some, there's some kind of warfare that's involved in this. It literally just lays to waste everything that's in its path. And it also seems like it lasts for quite a long time. Now, as I read this here, I feel pretty confident in saying that these four beasts represent four different kingdoms. And some of you might say, well, which one are we as the United States of America? Which one are we? I I don't know. There are lots of different opinions on this and what this all represents, but let me just give you my opinion. And please hear me here. This is not fact. This is my opinion. The the lion whose wings are plucked and taken down... um, then suddenly he comes back, he, he uh, makes, it makes me think that this particular one, the first one here, is uh, Babylon. That uh, there, the, the, What's great about this is that Daniel is actually given uh, this vision in the middle of the time when he's in Babylon. Medo-Persia had not, been, uh, had not come in and conquered yet, Darius is not in charge yet. And when Daniel gets this vision, he is living in the winged lion kingdom. And God says, hey, I I want you to just see here what's going to happen in the future. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, there are other places that describe Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar as a lion. If you see ancient artifacts from the past, lions are often used to represent Babylon. And so it makes me think that this winged lion is Babylon. If you remember back uh, in the first, uh, to the first six chapters of Daniel, Babylon is powerful and mighty, but Babylon doesn't last forever. And Nebuchadnezzar's reign is passed down a couple of generations, but then the Medo-Persians come in and they take over. And Medo-Persia is uh, two empires working together as one. And they, you notice here that, they're, that it's a bit lopsided. In history, in historical accounts, uh, you'll sometimes see it mentioned as the Medo-Persian Empire, and other times you'll see it mentioned as the Persian Empire. And the reason for this is because the Persian Empire was uh, much bigger and much more mighty, and it kind of pushed the Medes out. And so it's lopsided. There, is, there are, were two kingdoms working together, but one of them is a lot stronger than the other. 
And in order to get empire status, they have to defeat three kingdoms, Babylon and Assyria and uh, Egypt. Now, what I find interesting is that Daniel is having this vision and he, he doesn't understand every detail. He doesn't understand all the things that this vision is talking about. He doesn't know what this vision means, what this vision represents, and yet he writes this vision down anyway. Well, there's this lopsided bear that comes along. It, it walks with a limp. And one side is larger than the other, and eventually it is going to be taken over but this third beast uh, that, that comes along is a four-headed leopard. Now, if you look at history, do you know what empire would take over and come after the Medo-Persian Empire? It was the Greek Empire. And, and so the, the Greek emperor, Empire and, and the emperor uh, uh, um, Alexander the Great comes in, uh, conquers this entire known world, and he does it by the time he's 30 years old. In fact, historical accounts say that after 10 years of basically being the emperor, uh, the, he literally sits down and he starts crying because there's nothing else left to conquer. He had conquered everything, and he did it so quickly, and, and at the age of 33, he dies. Alexander died at such a young age, and he didn't have a family yet. He, he didn't have any heirs yet. He had been fighting the whole time. And so what happens is that the Greek empire is then divided among his generals. Now, guess how many generals he had? Four. And these four generals end up ruling over the four different sections of the uh, Greek empire. And so this was an empire that grew fast and lasted a while. But eventually another empire came along and flattened that empire. It was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was strong as iron. It was mighty. And it ended, it ended up lasting a long, long time. Centuries upon centuries that empire lasted. There were a lot of different emperors who came out of Rome, and Rome had this reputation of persecuting the saints. But there was a historical figure who came during the time of the Roman Empire who is central to your salvation and to mine, and his name is Jesus. Think about this. Here, here comes the Savior of the world, doesn't want to do anything but help people, he offers his life. He wants to offer new life to his, all of these people. And what does the Roman Empire do? Well, they kill him. Sounds pretty scary. Sounds pretty ruthless to me. And then the church begins and it grows. But soon after that, under these cruel emperors like Nero and others, Christians experience horrible, horrible persecution. And many died because of following Jesus. Now, I know that some of you might hear this and you think, well, thankfully Jesus came and now uh, that's kind of all over, right? I mean, these beasts are all done for. But what's interesting here in this last beast is that it's described with all of these horns that are popping up all over the place. And most scholars read this and they think one of two things, that either it's the Roman Empire that's going to come back 
and uh, in the end play a very serious role in end time events. Or that it is the ideologies of the Roman Empire that will continue throughout human history working in all of these different kingdoms that are even present here today. Fact is that either one of these things may be true or maybe none of those things is actually what's going on here. But as we look at these beastly kingdoms, one thing is for certain. What's being described here is that that there are going to be these earthly leaders and kingdoms that are working against God's people. And if you look down through history, or we look at what's happening in the world, even in our own country today, how things are unfolding right before our very eyes, the question is this, well, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? We continue on reading here in the text, and in verse 9, we pick it up, and it says this. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. Let me stop there for just a second. Does this even sound like a fight to you? I mean, there's this horrible beast that's going around through nation after nation after nation. It is spreading out all over the entire world for generations. This thing is has been building power and steam. And then comes this great battle and it's over before it even starts. You say, so do you mean to tell me that there's this scary empire that's literally going to uh, go around the world, the entire world, it's going to last for generations and generations, and then the Ancient of Days comes on the scene and the fight is over in that moment? Yes. That's what Daniel's saying right here. He says, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So if we could just kind of summarize this here, we could say it this way. The glorious ancient of days sovereignly reigns over all the kingdoms and will quickly defeat all opposition. I love the terminology, the ancient of days. You uh, may have heard this term before, maybe you've sung it in a song or something like that, but this is where it comes from, right in Daniel chapter 7. The Ancient of Days is a reminder to, to everyone that God is not old, God is eternal, and there's a big difference. God's eternal, that that there has never been a moment where he did not exist. He is the ancient of days. He's been around before the calendar even started, before people even started counting days. I, I just love this because it talks about all of these scary beasts. And then it says, we see here the ancient of days. He sits down on his throne. His clothing is white as snow, that he's pure. 
His hair is, uh, the hair of his head is pure wool. He has this wisdom. He has this throne of fiery flames. And listen, if someone is able to sit down and relax on fiery flames, you better not mess with them. The wheels of his throne are burning fire that everywhere he goes, there is this incredible power on display. Thousands of thousands are serving him. Tens of thousands standing before him. And he opens up the books. Friends, listen, I don't want you to miss this. In the midst of all the chaos, the Ancient of Days is in complete control here. Believer, in the midst of the chaos of 2020, the midst of the chaos of 2021, he is still in control. And so what's the plan for the Ancient of Days? What's he going to do? Well, verse 13 says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here's the picture of someone who comes before the Ancient of Days. He is not the same as the Ancient of Days, but he is someone who can stand in his presence. He is like a son of man... He rides on the clouds. That, that he is uh, human and yet he is divine. That, that's the characteristics of this figure. In the midst of all of this crazy, chaotic stuff that's going on in the world, we, we get this vision of the throne room of God where someone comes before him who is human and yet divine at the same time. And, and I want to remind you, this was written centuries before Jesus was even born. And, and if God could make a promise hundreds of years before and, and the, the, before it even happened and then make it happen and, and then he makes a promise today. You know, the, the reality is that we could stand on that promise forever. So there, there's this picture of someone who comes like a son of man. He is like a, it's like he's a human, but he's not. And some of you are saying, well, I think I know who this person is. And a lot of times in, in, in church, when there's a question that's asked, Usually the answer is Jesus. And in this case, you're right. This is pointing to Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He is like a son of man. But he is also riding on the clouds. He comes before the Ancient of Days. And trust me, if you can stand before the Ancient of Days and not melt, there is something that is very important about you. This figure that is standing before the Ancient of Days is going to be given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples and nations and languages shall serve him. Which kind of reminds me of what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. There's something unique about this kingdom that is different from all the ones before it. This kingdom is going to last forever. It is eternal. It will never be destroyed. You know, if you read through the Gospels, the the most common name that Jesus uses for himself uh, is the Son of Man. And if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 7, you read that and you think, oh, Jesus is saying that uh, he's just a regular guy like me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
81 times in the Gospels, Jesus uses this term, the Son of Man, about himself. And there are times when the Pharisees hear him and they pick up stones in order to try and kill him. What are you saying about yourself? You think that you're the Daniel 7 Son of Man? And Jesus says, I sure am. Over and over again, Jesus identifies himself with this coming figure who is presented before the ancient of days, coming on the clouds with dominion and authority and power in order to rescue a people from every tribe and nation and language. 81 times, Jesus says in the Gospels, and I say all of this because we need to remember, especially in 2021, that Jesus is not coming for the praise of Israel. He is not coming for the praise of the United States of America. He is coming to bring together a worldwide family from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and he will not stop until that happens. Well, the last few verses here, uh, we see this final conflict that's going to take place. Beginning in verse 15, it says this. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. Now, (laughs) is anyone else able to identify with Daniel here today? You say, you know what? I'm a little bit anxious here this morning. And it's kind of uh, uh, reassuring as well to see that Daniel has experienced some anxiety (laughs) I mean, here's a guy who is so unfazed by everything that has gone on the the previous chapters here, but he has this dream and he says, you know what, I'm a little bit nervous here. Well, he goes on and he says, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts, great beasts, are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. And which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped that uh, stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions, as I looked. This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth. And trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And shall think to change the times and the law. 
and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So as Daniel begins to bring this to a close, he focuses in on this last kingdom here that seems to be a lot stronger, to spread a lot faster than all of the other previous kingdoms. But, but it really speaks to the fact that someone who comes from this kingdom is going to be a little bit different, a, a little bit more horrific than all the ones uh, in the past. And, and I believe that this passage is teaching us that all resistance is leading to a culmination of the final Antichrist who will openly defy God and relentlessly oppose the church. Now, The term Antichrist refers to someone who stands against the ways and the people of God. In the past and even today, we have seen many people who could be described in this way. But but this particular person is characterized as having great power. Verse 25 says that they will wear out the people of God. They will intimidate, they will persecute, they will try to get the people of God to turn from him. This is going to be a great, challenging time. Notice also here that while this is going to be a very difficult time for believers, it is a very limited time as well. That this is not going to last forever. In fact, when the Most High decides to sit in judgment, it is going to be over in an instance, in a moment, that God is going to soundly defeat all opposition And his people are going to reign forever, forever and ever. So what this passage is teaching us, there is coming a day when God is going to say, you know what, that's it. You have no more power, you have no more authority. It is over right now because I said it's over. Now with that in mind, I want to leave you with just one final image here today. This past summer... One of uh, our neighbors out walking their dog. They have a big St. Bernard. And uh, we're, we're outside. And I'm outside. I'm doing some yard work. And so this neighbor stops and we start talking together a bit. But he's holding the leash of his dog. And the dog's just kind of sitting there patiently for a moment. Until there's this squirrel that goes running by. Well, this dog sees this squirrel and goes running off, taking off after this squirrel. And it pulls my neighbor into me. We both fall and end up on the ground. Well, when we fall on the ground, this dog turns and starts jumping on us, all over us. And I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I don't know who this dog is. I I, I mean, I, I haven't really had a whole lot of experiences with this dog And so I start covering my head. I'm trying to get away as fast as I can. Now, thankfully, uh, nothing happened to either one of us. The dog was just kind of playing around. But I have seen some scary dogs in my lifetime. And yet what is more scary to me is when the person who is holding the leash can't control the dog. And, And when I look at these four beasts here in this passage that are very, very frightening, 
the, the fact is, is that I know who holds the leash on them. And so I look at all this and I, I say, wow, I mean, there's a lion and there's a bear, there's a leopard, there's this kind of scary dragon-like creature. I should be scared about this, right? Yes, I should be scared, except for the fact that I know who holds the leash. And when he says it's over, well, it's over. And so I don't want us to be fearful about 2021 or however long we might live because we know who holds the leash. The Ancient of Days is seated on his throne. He holds the leash and he has a goal. His goal is to establish a perfect kingdom with no end where the Son of Man is going to be glorified among all nations, tribes, and languages. In fact, he is building that kingdom right now, and he calls us to play a crucial part, a crucial role in that. That our number one goal in life should be to point people to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom that's going to last forever. Today, we can say we are more about that kingdom than any other kingdom in this world. I hope that that's what you can say. Because at the end of the day, we know who holds the leash. We can sleep well at night knowing that he is in complete control. Let's pray.